Okay, we're beginning a new series today, and the series is entitled Reset. Reset. I have a question. Have you ever had trouble with your electronics? Who hasn't, right? You, it, it locks up on you, and you, you, you start doing stuff to try to get it to work. You restart it, or you delete some stuff. You download some stuff, but nothing's happening. And what do you ultimately have to do? You have to push and hold that power button and give it a hard restart that's not great for the union, but that's all you can do. Well, you know, the same thing sometimes happens to us in life. Sometimes our life gets locked up, and, and we're not moving forward in our life. Think, things don't feel like they're going well and that God's really blessing. Well, the good news is there is a button that you and I can push to reset our lives and get on track, okay? And so if, uh, if your life has ever felt uh, locked up and, and, and just stuck, this series is for you, and we're really excited about sharing the things God's put in our hearts. So this reset button that we have is found in the Bible in the words of Jesus. Y'all look with me here to Mark chapter 12, the words of Jesus. You are to love God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you, and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. Guys, the reset button for life is love. Love is our reset button in life. As we prioritize love, it keeps our lives on track. And if we get off track, we, it gets us back on track. You know, God never commanded us to get our act together before he'd have anything to do with us. Praise God. I'm so glad. He never said you have to figure it out. You have to know the Bible backwards and forwards. No. He says, just start with obeying this command. Come to me and love me. Everything else will get worked out. All the rest of the stuff matters, but not as much as love. Now, the context of these words of Jesus was this. In their culture, in the Jewish culture, they had all these literally hundreds and hundreds of laws they had to keep. Now, God had given them a bunch of them, but a whole bunch they had added themselves. And so they had this cultural frustration that nobody could even remember all these commandments, much less keep them all. And so this uh, Bible expert guy, when he came to Jesus, he's voicing his frustration. He's basically saying, man, just what's the one thing? Maybe I could just do the one main thing. And so Jesus basically said to him, there's only one button you need to push, and then your life can work right. So the button is love, particularly to love God and love people. So what does that look like? In this passage we just read, Jesus shows us exactly what it looks like. And for five Sundays, we're going to be unpacking this package and see how it can make such a big difference in our lives. There are five total dynamics in this passage. Four of them about, are about loving God, and one is about loving people. And so each week, we're going to look at one of these dynamics so we can grow in loving God and the number one thing that he wants from us. Now, we want to try an experiment during this series, okay? I hope you're game up for uh, trying an experiment. We want to try to memorize that passage of Scripture I just read. That's why we had people at the doors handing you handouts. You might not normally follow notes or whatever, but hold on to that handout because it has the Scripture on there. And here's how you memorize. 
You memorize, but just read something a couple times a day. I read things out loud that I want to memorize. And in a couple weeks, you got it. You don't even have to work at it if you'll just be consistent, okay? And it is so helpful to memorize the Word of God, the Word of God in your heart that's in your mind that you can just quote and say to God, whatever. It's just wonderful. I'm still quoting Bible verses that I memorized as a teenager because they've stayed with me. They're so meaningful to me. And so for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever tried to memorize Scripture. Again, it's not that hard. Just give it a shot, and in a couple of weeks, you'll probably have it memorized if you'll just say it out loud in a couple times every day. So let's practice, okay? Let's read this out loud, including the reference at the end. It's really great if you can also memorize where the verses come from. Okay, here we go. Ready? Go. You are to love God with every... That's only so-so. Let's start over. Y'all can do better than that. Here we go. You are to love God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you, and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. Mark 12, 30 through 31. Great job. Do that every day a couple times out loud, and I promise you, you'll get it before we're in, uh, before we finish this series. So, love God. That's the button. That's the way to be on track. Let's start to break this down now. Let's define what love means in the Bible, what kind of love God's talking about. It's real simple to define. You spell love, G-I-V-E. Love gives. Love gives. We had this verse from the Bible to tell us about God's love for us. Look what God did in John 3.16. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish but experience everlasting life. Love gives. And we're talking about a relationship where you interact with someone in a give and receive relationship. It's, It's a giving with no demand in return. It's, I'm just going to give, period. And, and when I receive from someone, it's not that I've earned it or they owe me. It's just I receive it as a gift of love. Uh, maybe you've heard something like this. Have you ever heard that marriage has to be 50-50? Both people meet in the middle, and you do this and meet his needs, and he'll do this and meet her needs. Well, I'm not sure that's the best thing. What happens if one person can't meet the needs of the other? What happens if one spouse gets really sick for a long time and they can't really meet the needs of the other? What, what then? What, what do you do about that? Well, I want to suggest a great marriage is 100% and 100%, where each spouse says, I'm going to give 100%, period, period. I don't have to have anything in return. It's not that I'm only giving expecting you to reciprocate. It's, I'm just going to give 100% period. And the other spouse is trying to give 100% too. That's when marriage gets really great. So we want to love God in a similar way. We love God in a two-way, give and receive relationship. Jesus came and died for us. We receive that. And then we give him our love and we show our appreciation for what he has done for us. And when we live like that, uh, life just gets really good because it's all connected to God. We begin to see life as what God is doing in his hand of love in my life. Look at this verse from John chapter 15. There is no greater way to love than to give your life for your friends. Jesus is saying, I gave the ultimate 
I gave my life for you. So love gives. Now let's look at a specific dynamic. Let's look at the first one of five that we're going to look at to look at how we can love God the way Jesus talked about. He said this, you are to love God with every passion of your heart. Every passion of your heart. That's a very interesting phrase. The idea is this, my heart is where my passions and my motivations are. The place in me that drives me, what, that determines what I love and why I do what I do, that's my heart, my motivations, my passions in life. Jesus is saying, God wants to be the greatest passion in your heart. He wants to be what motivates you in everything you do. And when I love him like this and he's in control of my life, it's good. And when I don't, life isn't so good. Now, let, let's talk about passions. Most of them are okay. For instance, it's fine for a man to be passionate to want to make a good income, take care of his family. But the problem becomes when he puts making money ahead of God and God has to take a back seat and, he, and he's out of whack. He's not loving God with all of his passion and heart because his big thing is making money and everything else is secondary to that. Well, let's look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus explained a little more about the heart and the passions and how they work together. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts. Man, I got a pickup now, but it's going to rust someday. <laughs> it decays and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasure for yourselves that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. Here it is. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Jesus was so smart. He's saying, guys, this is how God created you, that what you value the most, that's going to drive your life. Our heart pursues what we treasure the most. Uh, here's an example. You can tell how much I love God by looking at my checkbook. Do I treasure him and value him the most? And as part of that, I give lavishly to God? It's, it's, it's measurable in some cases, okay? So let's call this kind of love, let's call it heart love, all right? And we want to look at this heart love in action, and we're going to use a man in the Bible named David because he had a special heart love for God. He probably developed this as a young man when, as the youngest brother, he had to be the one out in the hills by himself taking care of the sheep. And so for years, he'd have to take them out for a couple of weeks and then come home, then take them out for a couple of weeks. And during this time, just him and the sheep and God out in the hills of Israel, he began to develop a relationship with God. He began to write songs. I can see him, you know, carrying his guitar around, herding the sheep. And he wrote songs that are now in the Bible. Well, he had a special heart for God. Look at what God says about David. David's the only guy in the Bible God says this about. Look at this. For God said of him, I have found in David, son of Jesse, a man who always pursues my heart and will accomplish all that I have destined him to do. God's saying, David loves me, and he wants to be like me. He wants to have my heart, to have a pure heart, and I'm going to help him succeed. He's going to do what I want him to do. You could say that loving God is loving what he loves and hating what he hates. Yeah, it's, it's okay for Christians to hate when we're hating things that God hates. 
In these psalms, David wrote so many of the psalms that are in the middle of our Bible. So many times he'll say, God, I love you, and I want to be righteous, and I hate wickedness. I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be around people that are just wicked to the core. And so I love what God loves, and I hate what God hates. So we're going to look at a couple examples of David's heart love in action. Here's the first. There's a problem in Israel, okay? There's a big problem. And David's praying, God, fix this. God, help us. And then he feels like he should make a special offering. In that culture, they would pile up wood, butcher an animal, and then put it on top of the wood as a sacrifice to God. God had instructed them to do this for a bunch of reasons. And so David wanted to do that. And so he was outside of town, and he came up to a man, and the man had lumber, and he had cattle. And David says, hey, I want, I want to buy your lumber and cattle to make this sacrifice to God. And this guy wanted to, you know, honor the king. And he said, no, no, King David, it's okay. It's okay. Just please take them. Take my cattle. Take my lumber. Go have your sacrifice and may God accept your sacrifice. That seems great. You know, he's wanting to honor the king and give David what he needs. But David doesn't see it that way. Look at what David says to this man. No, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. I'm not going to give God anything and say, God, here's my sacrifice, and it's really not a sacrifice. It didn't cost me a thing. He's like, no, no, no. I want to honor God. I want him to see that I love him with all my heart. And so he said, no, no, I insist. I'm going to buy this. And so the rest of the scripture there says, so David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. Guys, Heart love is lavish. David was not going to miss an opportunity to be lavish and buy what he needed to give an offering to God. Uh, I have a daughter who lives in San Diego, and now she has a boyfriend. And uh, it's pretty, looking pretty good. She was at home over the holidays, and Lori and I just laughed at her. She was pining away bad. I mean, she's got it bad. And so uh, after the holidays, she flew back to San Diego, and the boy said, I'll pick you up. And I'm thinking, that's smart. That's what a good boyfriend should do, right? Well, he doesn't just pick her up. Oh, no. He parks his car at the airport. He goes inside the airport to greet her when she comes off the plane with a bouquet of flowers. I mean, the boy nailed it. I mean, she's like, talk about sweep a girl off her feet, right? Well, he was being lavish. He was being lavish with his time, his energy, even his money to buy those flowers for my daughter. That's how this kind of heart love goes out toward God. Now, here's the second example of David's heart love in action. Here's the context here. They had a box in Israel called the Ark of the Covenant. That's the one that's the, the theme of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Nothing else about that movie is accurate, but it was called the Ark of the Covenant, right? And in this box, they had put the Ten Commandments that were on tablets of stone. I, I imagine them, you know, however big. And the finger of God had written the Ten Commandments. And so Israel kept that, and God said, make this box to these specs. Keep those tablets in there as a reminder. So they were a physical reminder for hundreds and hundreds of years to Israel about God's love and care, right? Well, they had a problem. 
they, the ark of God wasn't just a box with the tablets in it. It also represented the presence of God. And where the ark of God was present, it was like he was present in a special way, right? And so they would, the army would take the ark out with them. And when they'd have a battle, they would believe that would help them win the battle, right? Well, God would help them win some battles. But when they were being rebellious and not cooperating with him, he wouldn't let them win every battle. And one time they lost the battle. And the enemy stole the ark. And so now here's Israel. They're defeated. And the ark of God is taken away. Well, eventually, Israel got right with God and said, God, we're sorry. Help us. Forgive us. And help us get your ark back. And they did. They beat that enemy, brought the ark back. Well, the ark is in the country, but it's not in the capital city yet, Jerusalem, where it needs to be. And so they get all organized and get together, and they have a celebration parade, loud and boisterous, bringing this ark of God into Jerusalem. This was not a funeral march, okay? It was just the opposite. I mean, picture Mardi Gras in New Orleans, you know, and people just having a big party. That's what was happening. And King David, ruler of the nation, is right in the middle of it. He's singing and shouting and dancing and just having a great time. So they bring the ark into Jerusalem and they park it in a special place. And David blesses the people, gives them gifts. They go home. So what a day, right? Great day for King David. So he goes home and his wife meets him. And his wife's saying, boy, weren't you something today? Do you realize you look like a fool out there? Do you realize how people were watching you? And, and I, I just, I despise what I saw you do. Look at David's response to her. David says this, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. Guys, heart love is expressive. You don't love God with all your heart, your passion, motivation, without expressing it in some form or fashion. In this case, David was expressing it with great celebration. He cared more about honoring God than he did about the opinions of other people. It's a big, big deal. So he celebrated like crazy with the rest of them. Now, let me just make a comment here. This doesn't mean we have a license to go nuts whenever we worship, right? When we come together, the Bible instructs us to be considerate of one another so we don't do anything that distracts somebody from their focus on Jesus. But other times, it's just totally fine and go nuts. I mean, if we have a parade down 7th, you know, for Jesus someday, yeah, we'll do cartwheels or whatever and have a really big time. Uh, speaking of, of worshiping in, uh, in a real free way, uh, years ago, my wife and I and our family was on vacation, and we had a little cabin in the woods. We were hanging out for a few days, and one night I went into town to meet some people, and she was there at the cabin by herself. So a couple hours later, I came home. How are you doing? Everything's great. So what did you do while I was gone? And Lori said, well, I just had a, a great time with God. I, I just had a nice time. I, I worshiped God, and it was cool. I said, Really? She goes, yeah, I was all by myself, and I thought, why not? I just got up and kind of danced around the porch outside the, the house, just celebrating and worshiping God. It was a beautiful thing. That's, that's what we're talking about from a heart that wants to be expressive in its love for God. And speaking of Lori, I've asked her to help uh, come up and help me with this message. So this is my wife, Lori Webbin. Y'all say hi. <laughs> There you go, sweetheart. I want to ask Lori to share with us 
What does loving God with all the passion and motivation of your heart mean to you? Well, first I want to say that um, I can't love God if I don't come to him on his terms. And his terms are believing in Jesus as the only son, the only salvation for us, and giving my life to him and believing that he paid a price for me so I can love God. If I don't do that, I can't even start. And second, it means like spending time getting to know God and know how his kingdom works. And, for example, if I want to spend time with my husband, I might do stuff for him. You know, we might like, oh, how was your day? How was your day? But what do we really, we want to sit down and communicate. We want to have a meaningful conversation so I can know him better. Um, when we were first married, a lot of the things that just bugged me the, to death about him and probably him, me too, I love those things now. As we've gotten to know each other, you know, those things are precious to me. Um, and... Feel the same way about my kids. You know, my kids are all gone. They live on the all live on the West Coast, and man, I just want to have a. I want them to call me, and I want to have a conversation. You know, I talk to my daughter almost every day. The boys, they don't care about us at all. <laughs> but you know, the one time a year that we actually talk to them, um, <laughs> we're like, oh yes, and we want to. We don't want to just know what they're doing. We want to know what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their life. You know, what are their passions? And that's how it is with God. Um, I, I love him as I daily just talk to him and have conversations. And how do I have a conversation with the living God? That sounds kind of weird, you know, but um, I just sense things in my spirit. I learn things through the Bible. I mean, he wrote a whole book to tell me who he is. So I started when I was probably in high school or maybe it was college. I don't remember. Just like spending five minutes with God every day reading a little devotion, like one verse. And that just started me on a path that I've kept all these years of, you know, making time, lavishly giving my time to God and trying to get up early in the morning. And there's been times in life, like with little kids, and it's hard to find that time, you know, but just taking time to, to, to spend with God and just sitting down, being quiet and read my Bible or worshiping or praying. It depends. Every day it's a little different. And one of the verses that means a lot to me is, um, Jesus was telling the disciples, are y'all going to leave me too? Because some people left him. And Peter said, where else can I go? You have the only words of life. And that's what I think about. Jesus has the only words of life for my life. Not the TV and not Oprah and not all kinds of people, but just Jesus. And third, I think loving God means caring more about what God cares about than, than, um, than I think sometimes. Like, I know what God cares about in the Word, and he will speak that to our heart, you know, just not audibly, but just we'll just kind of know, you know, we'll just kind of read a Bible and know that this is what God is saying to me today. And so we, work, we, we love him and lavish that love on him by worship, worshiping him, either, you know, listening to songs on the radio that glorify him or, or CDs or coming to church and then also just praying and praying for others sometimes and sometimes just not praying for others just asking God to love on us and another thing we we ask God to love us you know just he he also gives a hundred percent and he lavishes his love on us and then I think when we do those things and and we love God with all our heart he changes this on the inside you know the big bible word for that is sanctification so he changes me you know maybe maybe there's a little maybe there's a little heart motivation that's not just right you know, I'm acting okay on the outside, but the inside, there's just something not right. And God, God will kind of put his finger on that and, and just show me that so that I can love him even more. I don't even know how to love God if he didn't help me. Mm -hmm. 
I even depend on him to help me love him because my love's not perfect like his. Um, and those are the things that I feel like as we love God and, and um, you know, I might never dance down the street. Maybe I'm a, I'm a little bit more of a quiet person as far as my worship and my lavishness on God. I, I'd like to just sit sometimes outside when it's pretty and just, you know, just sit where it's quiet. I, I, I'm in a job that's very noisy and so I just like, I don't even turn the radio on. I just want to be quiet on the way home where nobody's talking to me, you know. Um, and that's how I think we love God. Cool. Thank you. Uh, let me ask you a question. When, when you're not maintaining your relationship with him, say you go a few days and, and you're just not connecting with him, how does that affect you? I feel like I just want to take, take time with God. Like I'll, I'll make sure that I... That I make sure that I make time the next day, and I think a lot of it's been a habit in my life. But like, for instance, like electronics, I think they can really take us away from God. And I'm really not a big cell phone person, but <laughs> like in the morning, you know, you always want to check your texts. And I found that if I get up in the morning and I check my texts, then I get distracted into all kinds of stuff. So I just don't even look at it anymore because I know myself. I know I'll get distracted. Um, and so I think that, what was the question? I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. Just how do you feel, though, when you haven't okay. been connected um, with God? I'm pretty sensitive to, like, things in the world. Like, after a while, watching a bunch of shows and watching a bunch of TV, and I just get tired of it. And I just want to go and read my Bible or, or pray or just sit quietly for a little bit. And it just makes me feel like I'm not connected. It's not like I earn time with God. It's not like I earn favor from Him. But... Over the years now, I just I just want to spend time with him. I want to know his heart. I want to know, I want to be able to pray for people, and um, that's how I feel. I feel kind of like I haven't put God first. Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, Lori's going to stay up here and pray for us in just a minute. Let's wrap this up by getting practical. We want to look at some steps. How to love God with every passion of your heart. Number one, remove hindrances to loving him. Remove hindrances to loving him. A good question to ask ourselves is, what do I love the most? And just being honest with ourselves, and everybody at times has trouble loving God most. There's other things going on in your life, maybe good things. But if it's anything but God, ask him to, like Lori said, put that finger of God on your heart. And then say, Lord, help me. Help me love you the most. Help me put you first, first in my heart. I had a friend who years ago, before he became a believer and follower of Jesus, he was married and his wife was feeling neglected because every single day he possibly could, he was on the golf course. He'd go to work and go to the golf course and come home late. Weekends, he'd play golf Saturday and Sunday. Well, he was neglecting his wife. He was neglecting his marriage, right? And so one day, she actually went out on the golf course and got in his face and said, Come home, or I won't be there when you come home. Yeah, can't you just see that on the golf course? And I can see his buddies, you know, laughing at him. Well, he had been dumb, neglecting his wife, but he got smart in a hurry, and he left the golf course, and they're still together now, and they're believers, they're serving God and doing, doing great things. But he had let golf become a hindrance in his marriage and loving his wife well. Well, in our lives, things can come between us and loving God. Again, passions are fine, but... What do you love the most? Who do you love the most? So 
You remove hindrances. The number two, you receive his love. Lori mentioned that, that to really love God, we first have to receive his love. And it, it's so cool. It's like I receive his love and then reflect it back to him. It, it, I don't even have to work it up. I just say, God, help me. Years ago, we had a guest speaker in the church, and he talked about learning to let God love you. He wants to love on you, so to speak. And our speaker said, you can even feel it sometimes, and, and it's really important and energizing. And so he encouraged us uh, to do like when Lori said she'll read the Bible or pray every morning a little bit. He encouraged us, take a minute and just sit there and just say, Lord, I receive your love. Maybe put your hands out, close your eyes, whatever works. But just be still for a moment and just say, God, I want to receive your love right now. And so I began to practice that, and I could see a difference. One morning, I walked into the living room at our house, and my teenage son was sitting there. He would usually read his Bible before he went to, to uh, high school, but he was sitting there that morning just kind of like this, and I thought, yes, Lord, help him learn to receive your love. So I receive his love, and then number three, I return it. I express it. I respond to his prompting and how to love him lavishly, how to love him with all of my heart how to express my love to him. And just like any relationship, there's all kind of ways we express it. He'll guide you in expressing your love to him, okay? Remove hindrances, receive his love, return his love. All right, we're about to uh, be dismissed here, and I want to say a few things before we go. First off, I want to remind you about the Super Bowl party one last time. Hope to see you at 5 o'clock. Come for at least a little while. We're going to have a great time. And then we'll have prayer teams up here right now after the service. They'd love to pray for you, okay? And I'll have one special thing I need to mention. I could use some men to help us. We want to stack up these chairs in the middle, most of them from the front, about two-thirds of the way back. And so, guys, if some of you could stay for a few minutes, we'll whip, just go take them to the back and stack them, and it won't take long at all. You could really help us out doing that, all right? Y'all stand. And I'm going to ask Lori to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We just thank you and bless you that you've allowed us to come and have a corporate worship service with you, God. Very aware that there's people all over the world that can't do this. And we're very grateful, Lord. Lord, I pray for all the people that are here today, children, adults, men and women. I pray that you, first of all, would just shower your love on them. If they've had a trouble receiving you um, as just receiving love from you because of things in the past. I pray you just like put a blanket over them and they would just sense your presence and sense your love for them, that you love them, not because they're worthy, because I'm not, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, God, that we don't have to be good for you to love us. You love us even in our sin. You love us even in our problems. So I pray you do that for us today. Just shower your love. And then I pray we would respond to you by loving you with all of our heart. Any hindrances that are in our life today that are keeping us from loving you with all our heart, God, I pray that you would convict our hearts and those hindrances, God, we would lay those down at your cross, lay them down at your feet so that we could love you more each day. And I pray you just bless all the people here this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Prayer at the front. If you could help us stack chairs, that'd be great. See you at five.